I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. How to develop or pick a training plan. There are so many training plans on the internet these days. You could do a quick Google search of marathon training plans and literally find hundreds of free plans at your fingertips. But how do you decide which one is the best? How do you know which one you personally should use? These cookie cutter training plans you can get for free online are a great skeleton outline for many people to use, but they are missing some of the most important parts of training. Do they know what pace you run? Does this plan take into account your background with mileage and racing abilities? What if you go out of town or have a race during one of the long run weekends? Should you play catch up? Should you try to squeeze it all in? Do you modify? As you can tell, the generic plans can get complicated pretty quickly, so it is important to find something that is in line with your goals and your background. I have with me today Jason Philippi, who has been running for over 20 years, and he has been coaching for over a decade. He has coached anywhere from middle school all the way up to the college level, and now he works mainly with adults for Um, recreational races and competitive runners from the 5k all the way up to marathon distance. Um, He has done Boston twice himself uh, with a 249 PR at Boston. And we're just going to dive into some ways that you can develop a training plan and kind of some tips and tricks that we use when we're developing training plans. Um, I've been coaching since 2013. And even, you know, the first couple of years coaching, it's like these things were still kind of hard, right? It's really hard to develop um, a training plan that's really in line with your goals. And I think, you know, most coaches will admit, you know, after they have several years of experience that maybe the first year or two that they were writing plans, um, it was almost like, you have to get that experience under your belt in order to really know what you're doing. And so that's why it's also important to know, you know, if your friend just started um, coaching and doing training plans, it's great to to ask them for help, but know that you may be someone's guinea pig in the process. Um, and just kind of knowing that the more experience someone has developing these plans and working with runners, probably the better advice you're going to be able to get because there is in the beginning some sort of trial and error and guesswork involved. And it's really important to um, be looking to someone that has experience working with a variety of different athletes um, and different ability levels. So, you know, if someone hasn't worked with someone that 
is at your level, it, it would be, it's hard to translate those skills. I know Jason, when we first hired him um, two years ago now, a lot of his experience was um, more so with, you know, high school and college runners. And that was same with Ben Jacobs when we first hired him in 20, 2016 now, so almost five years ago. Um, a lot of his training experience was with college athletes. And there is just a learning curve that a lot of people need to undergo when they um, start coaching uh, athletes of different ability levels or even training for different distances, right? So even if you have ran a marathon yourself and you've done several marathons, it's completely different training um, other people for these events, right? So even if you've gotten yourself to improve from you know a five-hour marathon to a three-hour marathon, um, there's still so much that you don't know about, you know, other people and about training philosophies, just because something worked for you doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everyone else. And so that's why it's super important to look for very specific training plans and looking at your background and making sure someone really understands the whole picture of who you are as a runner and where you want to be going into the future. Um, so that's just my little caveat before we kind of dive into some of these things. So Jason, when was the first time that you started training um, more for those road races and the recreational competitive athlete versus the high school cross country track um, scene? And was there a learning curve and what sort of things did you find challenging in that transition? Yeah. Um, you know, I started kind of coaching adults, like you said, a few years ago. And even a little bit before that, I would coach adults um, through like a local run club here, um, Lifetime Fitness. And, um, you know, it was definitely a learning curve because when you're coaching high school or college athletes, you basically come to practice in mind with this, um, th- with like an outline of, of your schedule and your training and, you know, which days are going to be hard workouts and all of that. And so all the, all the athletes are going to do your hard workouts on the same day for the most part. Um, cause they're all running the same races and most of them are coming in with a similar background. Um, they've been running for a few years. They've, you know, done a fair share of races, that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, you can have them all do like the same type of workout and you might just vary like the, the intensity, obviously the pace, and then also like the, the number of repetitions. Um, let's say you're doing one K repeats, you know, your more advanced runners might do like five or six where your beginner runners, um, might do three or four. And so that's kind of how you vary and tailor the training to meet those athletes needs. Um, in the adult setting, it is a bit different because, um, you know, they're coming in with outside factors like work, family. Um, and you're really just going to try to individualize the training to match, um, match and work for them. And so looking at their past race history, um, their running history, especially recent running history, like I'm talking within the last 60 days or so, I really want to know what they've been doing because I want to make sure we don't do too much too quick. Um, and, you know, just because, you know, two athletes might both run five days a week, that training can look drastically different based on um, the pace and the volume that the athletes have been able to, you know, handle over the years. Yeah, it's just so different. And I'm sure you've experienced that yourself um, because your background as an athlete is going through the rings of middle school, high school, college, right? And so when you start to coach um, people who maybe started running in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, I'm sure that you're like, whoa, like this is a little bit of a learning curve. I have to kind of rethink um, my approach to training at times. Cause I think when we started coaching, or at least when I started coaching, um, you know, athletes, I kind of had the mindset of, okay, most people are coming from, you know, a background like mine, but it's so different. And then you meet people and you're like, 
oh my gosh, this person started running when they were 40 and they have, you know, four kids and their stay-at-home mom and their schedule just looks so much differently than, you know, a 25-year-old who doesn't have any kids and your body is just in a different stage of life. And there's just so many factors that go into everyone's training that really need to be evaluated. And I think, you know, one of the first um, experiences I have with this was in 2014, kind of when I first started uh, coaching and I was getting um, off of just, uh, you know, friends and family. It was like my first actual clients. Um, I had two two women. Um, One of them was in their 30s. She wanted to qualify for Boston. And then the other um, woman was, I think she was in her late 30s. She didn't have any kids. um, Also wanted to qualify for Boston. They had pretty much the same PRs when they came to me. They had to shave about the same amount of time off their um, marathon time. And I was like, oh, perfect. Like I kind of know what sort of training that they both need. And as we were going through their training cycle all throughout the summer, um, one was responding very, very well to the plan that I had written. And like, I, I felt very confident that I was writing and the other one just wasn't, um, having the same response. And I was like, this is so strange. Why, um, why, you know, is she getting fatigued or all these things? And, you know, as an inexperienced coach, I just assumed that, you know, like other factors in their life don't matter, right? Like I had never, I never dove in and said, Hey, like, what have you been doing, um, the last like five years? Like what was a successful cycle? Like for you last time, what burned you out? And it's really important that you know the history of an athlete. Um, and then further talking to you know the athlete that wasn't seeing the improvements that she was hoping for, um, we came to find out you know she's feeling really fatigued. She she said you know this is um, one of the highest mileages I've ever done, and it's like whoa okay you know maybe you're someone who thrives off of less. And part of me was a little hesitant to cut back because I was like oh you know you have to run high mileage in order to you know, hit a marathon and you have these values ingrained and you think you have to do certain things a certain way. Um, because that's really the bread and butter, right? Like mileage has to be a certain way. You have to do certain workouts. And I just had these like things I thought you had to do in order to reach an end goal. And, you know, we drastically cut her mileage. She was maybe running 30 miles a week. Um, she was pretty much on like an every other day, sort of running in situation. And then she would do cross training, biking. And she said, that was totally fine. That was feeling good. Um, and you know, I just, I had like some doubts with them going into their races. And what's funny about the story is they ended up running pretty much the exact same time. They both got Boston qualifiers, but their training, if you looked at, you know, the 12 weeks leading up to the race looked vastly different. And that's where things started to get really interesting for me and my coaching. Cause I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like there isn't, even if two people are in the same fitness level, they have the same, you know, time trial times. They, they have, they've been running for the same amount of years. These two women have both been running for like six years. Um, they were similar in age and you know, it was actually the one who had kids that could run the higher mileage weeks. And so it wasn't even a correlation there. It's just everyone's body is different. Everyone's going to be responding to stress differently. Um, And the bottom line is no one really knows what's going on in your life except for you. And you know how much stress you're holding in your body. And so working with someone and having um, that honest chat, even with yourself. So if you're developing your own plan for yourself, don't look at what, you know, someone on Instagram is doing or what you think you need to do to be successful. I mean, you might have these false representations in your head like, you know, if I really want to get to that level of a 330 marathon, I need to be doing X, Y. 
And if you're sitting there trying to pound this out of your body, um, sometimes it's just, you, it's better to do less because your body needs to have enough rest to make adaptations, to grow stronger. And sometimes less is a little bit more. And that's where I think people really need to be careful. And um, yeah, so that's just kind of my history, my mistake. You know, I made five or six, no, seven, almost seven years ago now. And um, you just learn over time that everyone is so different and there's just ways to pick up on those things um, sooner, right? So I know we've had podcasts in the past where we talk about overtraining and overdoing it um, and just making sure that you're in that sweet spot and you're not overreaching. And I know the tendency is always there to, you know, if you're Google search, if I Google search right now, like, sub through our marathon plan and I pull that up that bad boy um and I just followed that to a T there are just so many problems that would arise within my own training um and I think when you are able to google you know what does a marathon training plan look like and your own plan that you think would work in your head for your life and your schedule and your stress load looks different from what you're reading online or what you see online there is that sense of inadequacy that goes with that. And I think it's very difficult for people to make that um, judgment call for themselves and say, hey, maybe, you know, I shouldn't look on Google. I shouldn't be comparing to these template plans. So Jason, what are your experiences with these template plans? Have you ever used one? Have you ever had athletes use them? Um, what are kind of like the pros and cons that you see with them? Yeah, my own personal experience with them, I haven't really used them a lot. I've only looked at kind of a base building one once to get me back running, and then I kind of veered off of it. Um, so I only really used it for the mileage increase. And, and you know, this is kind of before I started coaching adults. And, um, you know, now I found that, obviously, I know myself best. And so if I'm coming back from injury or I want to start training for a, a certain race, I'm going to kind of just... Um, you know, write my own training for progressive overload, um, make sure I'm adapting. And I guess, you know, when I, I would caution athletes who, you know, who look for those types of plans and then they follow it just because um, the adjustments that don't get to happen with those plans, like let's say you get sick or something flares up and, you know, you, or like you said, you are on vacation, you need to move your long run around and just figuring out like all those things about how to adjust and adapt. Um, that can sometimes be difficult. And I think it's more likely that people might overdo it when those things arise. And then that sets you up on a path to maybe potential burnout or just um, not gaining the fitness adaptations that you would have gained if you did the less is more approach. And so, um, yeah, I think having a coach or at least someone who can, you know, help you make those training adjustments, that's probably the biggest, um, you know, benefit um, when working one-on-one -on -one as opposed to just following a, a cookie cutter plan. Right, definitely. And I think that's really well said. Like so many things come up in a training block, right? Training doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so, you know, life happens and you might, maybe you're traveling for work. Maybe, you know, you got sick. Maybe you had a little um, injury flare up. Maybe you were moving houses and, you know, your back's really sore. You have to take a couple of days off. There's just so many things that happen within a course of, you know, a four month training cycle where if you adjust one thing in a training plan, it's like a cascade effect, right? So you can't just like hit one domino and not expect the whole thing to come toppling down. You have to really understand how, 
um, training works and just how you can make those adjustments. And some people really get it and they like to come up with their own plan. But a lot of times um, there's like that little bit of uncertainty that goes into training. Like, oh shoot, if I don't do this, um, you know, six mile run today, like, should I, should I do, what should I do tomorrow? Or should I double up? Or, you know, we get these questions literally every single day um, where, oh, like my shins kind of feel a little weird today. Do you think I should still do my workout? And there's just those like uncertain judgment call moments where it's better to be safe than sorry. And I think, you know, sometimes people just know that they aren't supposed to do it and they just want that reassurance. So, you know, they'll ask, but I do think sometimes people just don't know that it's better to, to, to rest than it is to overdo it. Right. And I think uh, a perfect example is, when I started marathon training my for my first marathon, I went out and did, um, what did I do? I did like a 20, 20 mile long run. I tried to do 20 mile long run, only made it to like 19 miles. This was before I really knew anything about training, right? I was going faster than marathon pace. I was making all of the key mistakes, right? And then um, I wanted to go and, and run like a race like three days later. And it's just like I was trying to cram so many things all at once and I ended up like getting injured and there's just like this cascade effect of if I would have had like that outside source being like, whoa, 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 like you you kind of need to um, space things out. It would have been probably even more beneficial for me to not even attempt to do that 20 mile long run, right? And just go into the marathon um, with more, you know, medium long runs. And there's just so many, um, things that, you know, I didn't know. And I wish I could go back and, um, and change and tweak. But I think some of the main takeaways are, you know, the training plans that you're finding online, they don't know what pace you're running. Right. And I think that's the first key thing. You know, if you're training for a marathon, um, it's going to look so different, right? So someone who's running seven minute pace for all of their training runs versus 12 minute pace for all their training runs. If you really think about the time spent running, that's a factor that really needs to be talked about. And and we'll, we'll do another podcast. I think about that 20 mile long run, but there is this misconception out there about the 20 mile long run. Um, and you know how your longest run before marathon should really only be between two and a half to, to three hours. And that's um, a Jack Daniels principle definitely that I have picked up on and learned over the years um, and seen a lot of success with people who, you know, are hoping to to run like 10, 11, 12 minute pace for marathon. I, I find more success with them doing the back-to-back long runs, which is similar um, to the ultra marathon world. So Jason, tell me a little bit about that two and a half to three hour rule. And if you ever have athletes who really insist on doing 20 mile long runs and what are things that people should look out for? Yeah. So, you know, the reason we don't want to do much more than that is just because of the the damage that it does to our muscles and on a cellular level. And it takes our muscles and tendons longer to recover. Um, you know, you're better off running two medium long runs back to back days and um, you're, you're going to get the same benefit out of the matter. And so, you know, when we are thinking about a marathon training block, depending on if it's your first, second, third, however many you've done, obviously you want to think about um, past experiences, injury history, all of that. And then um, you probably obviously want to do a little bit more than you did in the past. Um, if it's your first marathon though, you're, it's better to be a little bit, um, cautious and to try to make up some of those extra mile, miles during the week. Cause like you said, the, it's all time-based, right? So a seven minute runner can run 20 miles in, in two hours and like 10 minutes or two hours and 20 minutes. Um, and so obviously they're staying under that threshold of two, uh, two hours, 30 minutes to three hours. So, 
Um, it's different for that 12 minute um, pace person. Uh, but, you know, I definitely think that, you know, the, the workouts and the paces, it's sometimes, um, you know, you learn through obviously um, previous training cycles, and then you want to make sure that you're you're training at the level you're at. You don't want to just train at the level that you're trying to achieve or the goal time that you're trying to run. So if you're a 420 marathon, you don't want to train at all the four hour paces um, unless your fitness is really there. And the only way to tell that is to run some shorter races and see do your times kind of align. And so that's why we would u- utilize the VDOT calculator. Um, but you know, you, you typically want to train at the fitness level that you're at. Your body's going to make the adaptations easier and you're not stressing, um, not overstressing those systems when you're running like marathon pace or threshold and so on. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also important to, you know, when you're coming up with these marathon training plans, it's like, where's your starting point, right? That's really the key thing is some people come, um, they want to do a marathon and they are maybe only running, you know, 20 miles a week for someone who's maybe a more seasoned marathoner and like year round, they're running 50 miles a week. Right. So there's like so many different starting points. And so when you quit Google search marathon training schedule online, the first two images that pop up for me, the first one is starting with like a 15 miles per week and the other one it looks like there's literally three runs per week um so it's a similar you know 15 20 miles a week um but but what's interesting about these plans is the aggression at which they are building i think it's just way too much to ask that someone would start at 15 miles a week um, and be doing a, you know, a 20 mile long run, uh, two and a half months later, you know, it just, it takes time to develop the aerobic system. And so, you know, looking at this plan, I don't think I could have ever accomplished, you know, what it, what it is asking because it just took my body a lot longer to adapt to endurance running. Right. So I think before you even dive into a marathon training plan, I like to think of some prerequisites, right? Like I think you should be able to run for, um, 60 to 90 minutes without it being something that totally wipes you out. It should just be, you know, like a long run should be between 60 and 90 minutes for you. I think that's a good starting point. Um, if you're someone that can regularly run three to four times a week, week after week, um, and you've been doing that for over a year, I think these are good indicators that, okay, maybe I could do a marathon, but you know, if you're coming up, you haven't ran more than, you know, four times a week in the last like year, you only run three miles at a time, um, running more than five miles just really gasses you. Um, depending on like your background and stuff, it might be better to maybe not rush into the marathon, maybe do like a half before you dive into that marathon training cycle, because some of these training plans online are just not realistic and they're not safe. Um, this one is starting week one, you're running 15 miles. And then by week 13, so literally like not even three months later, you're running 40 miles. And that is just a recipe for injury right there. Um, and I think you really have to be careful because anyone can literally write um, a training plan and just throw it up on the internet. And you're not really sure, you know, who this is for, you know, or like I look at this and, you know, if I was a new runner, I would think, you know, this is perfect for me. Um, but it, it's really not. And you have to be cautious of certain rules within running. I think picking a plan where the mileage is not increasing 
any more than 10% per week. And then every three weeks you need to cut back. So it shouldn't be a build every single week. Um, anytime you are seeing a training plan that builds mileage every single week, like this one, this is the first one that popped up on Google. It builds mileage every single week until the taper. Um, and that's just not uh, realistic. And same with the long run. Anytime there's a long run that is building every single week without cutback or, you know, okay, one of the weeks it doesn't build, it goes 16 and then 16 the next week. That's, uh, that's also a red flag. Um, you should every single month within your training cycle, at least once a month, not do a long run over 90 minutes, at least once a month. Um, that's kind of like a standard rule of thumb. Um, I know a lot of people get really hyped up about the super long runs and it's, it's hard to not think that those are everything, but when you're doing too many long runs, you're not focusing enough on those quality sessions, which give you, um, even more strength and endurance during the week. So not everything is all about, you know, how many times can I run, you know, two to three hours at a time. Um, the Hanson's method was great at kind of debuking the whole theory that you have to run 20 miles and you have to run 20 miles a bunch of times. They have a plan where it peaks at 16 miles for the longest long run, um, and it's notorious for getting people to their first Boston qualifying time. Um, that's the longest run you ever do is 16 miles, and the rest of it is just you know running consistently in that higher mileage range. And so it's about that accumulative effect on your legs. It's not all about, okay, I gotta just make sure there's a 20 mile long run, and I gotta make sure there's a bunch of long runs because those long runs are gonna get me there. No, that's not it at all. It's gonna be your years of endurance um, building, that years of running on accumulative fatigue. It's gonna be the years of training that you put in and then being smart within that training cycle of, okay, doing a lactic threshold work or doing marathon pace work, doing medium long runs. It's the accumulation. It's not just one run gets you to that next run. Um, so that's just really important to keep in mind. So what are some common um, things that you see with these online training plans or, you know, misconceptions that you have athletes coming to you thinking that they need to do this. Um, what are things to kind of look out for? Yeah, definitely the weekly mileage totals and the long run totals. Those are probably the biggest two things. Um, maybe the next thing would be like workouts and making sure you do this, do the certain workouts or number of reps that it tells you to do. Um, or like Yasso 800s, I know that's been a part of a lot of marathon training plans and you got to do eight 800s or whatever. And so, um, you know, when you're working with a one-on-one coach, um, I think that it's not like the workouts are going to be any really easier or harder. They might, they might be very similar than what you could find online. Um, but I think the main difference is going to be the coach can help you identify, um, you know, through your time and experiences, identify the things that are going well with your workouts. They can kind of bring to light some things that you maybe need to work on. And so I think that can really help with like, um, our mental approach to workouts and with, you know, gaining confidence. If we, if we keep hearing from our coach, wow, you're doing great. You're, you know, you're running negative splits with every single workout. Um, that that's good to hear as an athlete. And I think that if, you know, if we're running, if you're kind of puttering out towards the end of workouts, that could be a sign like that, um, the workouts are too fast. And so some paces might need to be adjusted, or we might want to focus on like some shorter, faster stuff or a longer, slower stuff. And so kind of finding, finding that sweet spot, I think to help you as an athlete, kind of keep you, um, on the right path. And so sometimes when you're just following the, the training plan you have no one else to kind of consult with, it's difficult to, um, kind of have that, that lens of, oh, this, this is something I should maybe uh, think about adjusting with my own training.
Yes, definitely. I think that outside accountability is huge. And I know even for myself personally as an athlete coming up with the types of workouts that I should be doing, um, you know, seven years ago, um, I thought I had a pretty good grip on, you know, training concepts. Uh, you know, I was married to someone who was a running coach. You know, running was a really big part of our lives. But yet still um, in training, there were just workouts that maybe I wasn't utilizing that I should have been. I think um, for a long time, like there was just that hyper focus on doing speed workouts or hitting certain paces on workouts or doing a certain type of workouts. Like a lot of people are really attached to Yazzo's 800s. And um, for me, you know, I was really attached to like doing 10 by 400, which I'm not saying that's a bad workout, but I'm saying if, if I was trying to really capitalize on speed that I already had. So I was already pretty good at a 5K but I wanted that to translate over to a marathon. My energy is better spent doing threshold work, um, steady state works, medium long runs. But the thing is, is I was avoiding all of those workouts because they were challenging me and I didn't really like to do things that were that far outside of my comfort zone. I would rather do, you know, all workouts are hard, but I would rather do workouts that I was already good at, right? So I was leaning towards the workouts that I prefer doing rather than doing the ones that were really going to help me improve as an athlete. And I think, you know, as you get faster and as you progress in the sport, um, the margins get smaller and smaller for what sort of workouts you can do. So you maybe can get away with, you know, the first couple of years you're training for marathons, doing all this speed workout um, and seeing improvements in your marathon or seeing improvements in all your distances. But as you reach um, a certain threshold, there's that law of diminishing returns. It's just really important that you are really being specific with the work that you're putting in because you only get so many workouts. You only get so many stress sessions that it's really important that the workouts that you do are very specific to you as an athlete. And I know that there are a lot of athletes we work with who um, maybe are the opposite of me, right? They're really good at the marathon and they really need to um, really tap into their speed potential. And so throwing in more of those 200 meter, 400 meter workouts um, at the beginning of the season or even just within the training cycle can really help go a long way with keeping that speed and getting them faster all across the board. Whereas a lot of the athletes that we we work with, I'd say maybe, you know, 70% tend to be the opposite. It's where, you know, that you can run a pretty fast one mile, 5k, um, even half, but then in the marathon, it's just putting everything together and making sure that you're working on all of the little things that you can to translate your speed over into the marathon. And so that looks like, you know, coming up with solid fueling plans, um, running on hills, making sure you're being really conscious of not stopping your watch for excessive periods of time on long runs. Um, and then also just being aware of how you're doing your long runs, right? We don't want to be racing our long runs. We want to make sure that we can make it through the whole training cycle without, you know, having to take a week off or whatever. And you should feel at the end of your long run that you can, you know, pick up the pace. If you reach the end of a long run, like a long, slow, easy run, and you feel like you can't go another step, or you feel like you couldn't add on another mile, you feel like you couldn't pick it up a minute per mile. 
um, there's probably something going on that could be tweaked within your training. Um, you don't want to feel like your legs are lead or like you can hardly walk the next day. Those sort of things are kind of red flags and you want to make sure you're really utilizing all the time that you have and all of the, the resources you have to make sure you're going to have the best outcome of your training cycle. So how should someone approach finding or developing a plan in terms of creating the long run? Like what's a good starting point for athletes um, for a marathon training, let's say, you know, 16 week plan, where do you think most athletes should start and where do you think most athletes should build to? Do you think doing a time-based approach is better um, or how do you navigate those waters? Yeah, um, time-based is, I think it's always going to be better. I think that most people though are, you know, too used to the mileage. And so, um, you know, we do make most of our plans in miles and that's what athletes prefer. And it probably easier as coaches too, um, because then you don't have to always crunch the numbers with the math. But, you know, time-based is great, especially for like recovery runs, um, because the goal is not necessarily to overstretch and get your six miles in. It might just be, you know, running about 40 to 45 minutes and kind of capping it at that. Like you don't need to go much more, um, you know, depending on the level of athlete that you're at, um, just to give you an example. But I would say like figuring out how to start an athlete on, you know, their long run training um, will really depend on like, how many marathons have they done? What have they done for long runs in the most recent, like last six to eight weeks, that sort of thing. Um, some athletes, they may be able to jump right in and do, you know, go from like eight to 12 or eight to 13. Um, if, you know, if they've been very durable in the past and they're very experienced marathon or that sort of thing, but most of the time I'm going to build them up usually in increments of like two miles per week. Um, it might only be a mile per week, depending on if they're new to the, um, you know, new to marathoning, that sort of thing. And then offering that cutback every two weeks to three weeks, um, for sure every fourth week for that experienced marathoner. Um, so that's kind of how I would structure it. Um, you know, just kind of adding maybe two miles here and there. Um, once you get into the, 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 you know, the thick of marathon training, you might have a week for an experienced marathoner that looks like maybe their cutback is a 10 and then they jump up and do like 15 or 16 and then like 20 the following week. And so it's not always perfectly going to be you know, increments of two miles, but hopefully that kind of gives you a little idea. You know, again, it's going to look different for every athlete. Yes, definitely. So just kind of recapping some of the things we've already talked about, I think it's really important to start where you're at and knowing your commitment level going in, right? So everyone has a lot of other responsibilities besides just being a runner in their day-to-day life. And so knowing what can I sustain over the course of the next 16 weeks? Is it four days a week? Is it three days a week? Is it five days? Is it six, seven? Um, and kind of knowing your baseline. And I like to encourage everyone to have at least one day where it's like a rest day, right? Um, you can do active recovery, like walking, hiking, all those things. But I do think... You know, there are some people that want to train every single day and never have a rest day, but I'd say most runners should be taking at least one rest day, if not more. Um, so starting where you're at. So if you pull up a training plan online and, you know, it starts you at a higher mileage or more days per week than you're used to, I would say it's probably not the best plan for you. And you're probably going to have to make adjustments. Um, so you want to start where you are with days per week running and weekly mileage and being really honest about that. So you want to look historically maybe at Strava, maybe on Garmin, wherever you keep your running data 
and total up what you have done the last six weeks and divide that by six, right? Like make sure you know, because a lot of people will fill out um, some of the forms on our website and they'll say, yeah, I usually run four to five days a week. I run 40 miles a week. And it's like, probably not because that would mean that you're running 10 miles every day. Um, And while that is possible, most people are not doing that, right? So you really have to make sure that you know what that weekly mileage number is. Um, And then when you're looking at the training plan, you also want to make sure that there are those cutback weeks in there. So if you're scanning down that total weekly mileage and you see that it only builds and there's never a week where it goes from, you know, 30 miles down to 20 and there's aren't those breaks in the training, um, the stress plus rest equals growth is the growth formula. So you need to have weeks where you have that cutback week and the weekly mileage cutback should also have that cutback long run. So you're not going to be building on the long run every single week. Um, there's a reason for doing this. It's because you don't want to be completely trashed, completely fatigued glycogen storages. There's so many benefits to having one weekend where you do a little bit less. It keeps you hungry. It keeps you excited. And the biggest thing that I see happen is people are like, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll do this. And then they get to towards the end of their training cycle. Their legs feel like lead. They can't reach the next level. They're feeling burnt out. Um, or maybe they make it through the training cycle and race day just doesn't go as planned. So taking that cutback week is super important. Um, and then doing workouts that are specific to you. So a lot of these training plans online, they're very good with the mileage. They'll, they'll show you how to build your mileage over the course of 16 weeks, but they're not really giving you specific pace workouts that you should be doing and workouts that are specific to you, right? So within a marathon training cycle, like I said, about 70% of our athletes are probably going to be focusing more on tempo and threshold work. And finding your paces for that is extremely important. You need to do either a race or a time trial to see what your VDOT fitness level is at. Make sure you know exactly where you should be with your threshold. Make sure you know what effort that should feel like. Um, You don't want to feel like you're racing workouts. You don't want to feel breathless at the end of a threshold run. If you did, you probably defeated the purpose of the workout, right? You want it to feel comfortably hard, 80% effort, those sort of things. And also making sure you're doing the right workouts for you. Don't um, do a workout that you saw someone else doing. Don't do you know, 20 by 200 in the middle of your marathon training cycle, unless you really know what you're doing, right? Um, just because you see someone else on Instagram doing that workout does not mean that that is, you know, the workout for you. Um, and then don't expect miracles, right? So if you've only really been running for a couple of years or your consistency hasn't been great, don't expect that like committing to some random training plan that you find online is going to just, you know, be your breakthrough, right? It takes a lot of time and consistency and the more consistent you are going into a training cycle, the more beneficial, the more benefits and the better results you're going to get from that training cycle. So a lot of times people will take several months off or they just won't take it seriously for, you know, an extended period of time. And then they expect that, you know, if I just dive back into my training, everything is going to be fine. I'm going to PR and maybe you can get away with that for a while. But like I was saying earlier, the faster you get, the harder it is to kind of get away with that and see results. Um, And then also knowing your background, right? So knowing what you are successful with, do you have the tendency to dive in head first into training and then um, 
fizzle out towards the end? Or do you tend to be the opposite? Are you someone that, you know, gets more excited as training goes on? Those things can be indicators as to what sort of training plan you should select. If you're someone who tends to get really excited at the beginning of a training cycle and then lose interest at the end, I would say you should probably start with a plan that's well under your ability level, right? You you want to really be consistent and you want to practice that consistency. And oftentimes people will lose interest in a training plan if it becomes too difficult and if they realize it's not a sustainable approach. And that is something that's very, very common, um, especially this time of year, the time we're recording this, right? It's kind of that fitness um, explosion time of year. Um, but Jason, what are some things that people should look at when you know they're looking for a training plan um, and they are someone that maybe loses interest or they haven't been successful in the past? What are some ways that someone can look to be more successful in future training cycles? Yeah, I think it kind of boils down to starting with, um, you know, starting definitely with where you're at and making sure that the training is um, doable for you and attainable to, you know, to get on the right track. And so sometimes, you know, by having the coach, it just takes that, those extra thoughts out of, out of the extra worry out of your hands and the coach will write the training for you and um, they'll make those modifications. And sometimes I'm, I'm out of five plan and don't even tell an athlete, it might be two, three weeks down the road, just based on how I'm seeing they're progressing with workouts. And so I might make it harder or easier or longer or shorter, or I might adjust the paces. And so I think that that's really, you know, if, if you're someone that you, you know, you, you're looking to maybe get back into shape or you want to start um, working towards a goal, um, the best thing you can do is to involve somebody who can help you and just kind of have um, an oversight of the approach. And because maybe along the way, you're going to learn things from them that will actually help you, like tools that will help you and it maybe instill some confidence or just look at things a different way. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's the that's what I would say. And sometimes it helps having like a, a new tool or platform to look at your workouts, like through an app and stuff like that. Um, you know, and some people are old school, so you could always print it off for yourself and then hang it up as well. So uh, maybe trying something new, but also giving it a chance and committing to it. I know sometimes people, um, you know, they'll join us for like a month and then they fall off the boat and it's like, well, you, you know, we can really adjust some things to make it easier for you. So let's, let's try to continue on and, and give it, give it the chance that it deserves. Yeah, definitely. I love how you talked about, you know, having that outside accountability and having someone else writing your training for you. Because even as a coach and even as someone who, you know, coaches a bunch of runners, I still like that outside perspective. I like that outside accountability. Um, I like to see other people's viewpoints and, you know, what better way to do that than asking other people for their advice or asking, you know, what would you do in this situation? And I think having those intellectual conversations over the year, it's really what can expand um, your your viewpoints and also your knowledge base. Um, I remember before uh, Grandma's Marathon 2015, your friend, I was like, what should I do for the next two weeks? You know, two weeks until the race, two week taper. And he looked at me dead serious. He's like a two, what is he, like a 220 marathoner. And he's like, um, you could do nothing. It would make no difference. And I'm like, Whoa, what are you saying? I'm like, I don't understand how you can even say that right now, but it's, it, I mean, it is true, right? So like physically 
fitness doesn't get lost within two weeks and fitness doesn't get gained in two weeks. So really what he was saying is that it doesn't matter that much. And, you know, obviously it's a, it's like a do no harm, right? You just want to make sure you're not going to burn the barn down. Um, so I just thought it was really interesting to have that approach. Cause here I was like overanalyzing, overthinking. And really what he was saying is like, you just need to calm down and not, not overthink it. Cause at that point, it's all about training your mind. How can my mind be tough? And I just really like that perspective because, you know, I probably, did know that if you were to ask me like would you gain fitness in two weeks but I do think it's important to kind of hear that from someone else right because you can go crazy in your own mind just back and forth with your own thoughts but when you start to um, collaborate with other people and see kind of their perspective and their experiences um, it's just really interesting because you get to hear stories and you get to you know just expand your um, horizons a little bit And that's why I think working with a coach is awesome. I still sometimes will ask um, Coach Ben Jacobs to write my training and write some workouts for me just because otherwise, if you're sitting there doing it yourself, sometimes it is that analysis paralysis where you know you're the one who made the plan. So you also know that you're the one who can adjust the plan, right? And then once you start going down that rabbit hole of, oh, I made this adjustment so I can make that adjustment, you start to kind of lose sight of the big picture and the fact that you know, you don't need to make adjustments every time and you shouldn't make adjustments just because you want to be more comfortable within a training cycle, right? Um, there are certain adjustments that should be made. And obviously like if you're sick or, you know, if you're something is sore, but if you just look at a workout and you don't like the way it looks and you make an adjustment, that's not a benefit. And so that's something that I struggle with. And I think if people were being honest with themselves, I'm sure that they probably would also struggle with that. So you really have to have that really high level of accountability um, for yourself and your training. And some people definitely have that. Um, then I think it's great to have an outline, maybe make your own plan, um, looking for those rules and principles that we chatted about earlier. But I think it's fun to have someone else's outside perspective just because that accountability piece and having a plan that someone someone else is creating for you um, just because it really holds you to that higher level of accountability. Otherwise, I just feel like I won't do the training that I set out for myself. Do you think that there is that accountability piece even for people who are highly driven and highly motivated? Um, do you ever have the tendency to want to like adjust a plan just because you see a workout and you're like, uh, like, I don't really like that workout or do you not get that way? Um, yeah, no, I definitely think it kind of goes back to doing what you're comfortable with. And maybe you had, you know, an experience that wasn't the greatest, Mm -hmm. uh, with a previous workout. Let's say it's like a really long threshold run. Mm -hmm. You might look for ways where you can, you know, in your mind, convince yourself like, oh, if I adjust it this way. It'll still kind of be the same effect, but it's going to be easier on me mentally. But really, maybe the purpose was to challenge yourself and maybe the coach wanted to do that. Um, so, it, yeah, just it's kind of like, you know, I think everyone can benefit from a coach. There's a reason why elites have a coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, obviously it's more than just training with the group, but a lot of people hire coaches. And I think there's just a lot to be said from, um, you know, having someone help you recognize like those subtle changes that maybe we should try to, you know, throw at you and um or maybe try something new and they might even remember something about a specific workout better than you did um and so that they can kind of draw upon that and so sometimes i'll bring that up to an athlete too i'll be like oh when you did this two months ago you ran this or like this your last 5k these were your splits and now these were your splits so look at kind of how you you know you went out more conservative you were able to um run more of a negative split and so just so those sorts of um i guess analytical um, realizations, I think sometimes are, are hard to see on your own. And so that's where I think the coach can kind of help you with that.
Definitely. Those analytical realizations, like you were saying, and also just the whole accountability of everything. And, you know, why would you have someone write your workouts for you? Well, why wouldn't you, right? Um, Sometimes when I sit there and I write my own, I do have that tendency of picking ones that I like, picking ones that are going to be fun. Um, And if that's what you want to do with your training, that's great. Um, But if you really want to get faster, which I think a lot of athletes do, it's better to do ones that are really going to challenge you. And I do think it is difficult when you know which workouts you like to pick ones that you do not like and to put them in your training plan. Because like I just, I won't let my pen, you know, make those marks. I'll be like, no, 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 don't do it. Um, So that's why I, I personally like to get workouts from somewhere else or to have someone else um, write my workouts because otherwise I just straight up will be biased when I create my training plan. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So um, obviously we are a run coaching company and we do online coaching and personal training and custom plans for athletes. And this is pretty much what we do every single day. We're looking at athletes' backgrounds and we're developing a training plan really specific to you to help you be successful and reach your goals. Um, so we have like an athlete intake form that we have everyone fill out. And then there's obviously some back and forth with the coach and we get into our little sweet spot, um, prescribing workouts, very specific to you, your background and your goals. We kick things off with a time trial. So we know exactly the fitness you're in. And then we will retest, um, throughout the course of that training plan and really, um, make sure we're working at the right paces and level very specific to you. So if that's ever something you're interested in, like you thought maybe, wow, this podcast, it seems like a lot of work to write my own plan. Maybe I want to see what someone else would come up with. Um, that's definitely, you know, a lot of why people start with a coach and then they get hooked because they realize, oh my gosh, I love other people writing my training and I see the results and it's less work on my part. Um, I used to spend so much time coming up with my own training plan and then I adjusted a million times. Um, and just taking that off of your plate can be such a sigh of relief. And then you can focus on the part that you really enjoy doing, which is running, right? So you want to be able to focus your energy on running and not sit there and like stress out about it. And so that's why a coach can be awesome. Um, there's someone to bounce ideas off of and they're just always there in your corner helping you and maybe even knowing you better than you know yourself at times. Um, so we actually do a free seven day trial for anyone who's interested. If you visit our website, www.runforprs.co and you fill out the form there, we can actually get you set up right away working with a coach and filling out that athlete intake form. You can get a free week of training with us. There's absolutely no commitment or strings attached. It's just a way for you to see um, inside of our app and what our training is really like for a week. So if that's something you're interested in, again, you can visit our website, www.runforprs.co and fill out the form there. Thanks for tuning in.